Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, in the English Standard Version, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So faith, the Christian life is a life of faith. It's amazing, I think at least 25 to 30 times the New Testament refers to Christianity itself as the faith. We're saved by faith, we live by faith. And faith is not only the hand that receives what God is offering, it is also a shield that protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Faith may not prevent the enemy from launching an assault against you, but it will thwart his plans and render his offensive useless in your life. The Bible promises us in the Old Testament in Isaiah 54 verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Now, weapons will be formed, but if you trust God, they will not be able to perform. In other words, deadly arrows, I'm talking to Christians today, deadly arrows will be fired against you. See, you, you don't need to wear armor to a picnic. Obviously, there, there is a battle in the, in the Christian life. Deadly arrows will be fired against you, but the shield of faith will absorb the impact and quench the flame. Can I get an amen? You see, some Christians seem to think that if you have enough faith, you'll never have any problems. Nothing could be further from the truth, my friend. The man who wrote this verse, the Apostle Paul... Uh, had more faith than anybody alive today. I know you may think you have more faith than him, but let me be the first to tell you you are deceived. The Apostle Paul had more faith than anybody you know of, and yet throughout his entire Christian life, he dealt with challenges. He had obstacles to overcome. He had problems every day. Jesus said... In John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. Ooh. He's not talking about end-time events like, you know, um, you know, the book of Revelation. The word tribulation simply means trouble. It's the Greek word thlipsis. It means pressure, affliction, hardships, difficulties. Uh, difficult circumstances on the outside that are causing internal pressure on the inside in your life. You understand this, we are not living in the world as God originally created it. We are living on the other side of Adam's sin in a fallen world. You see, if this world was perfect, then there would be no need for God to destroy it and make another. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words will never pass away. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1, John had a vision of future events, John the Apostle. And he said this, Revelation 21 and verse 1, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Hmm. But this will be fulfilled at the end of the age. And in the meantime, we're in this world. And we have to deal with this world, people in this world. And also, we have to confront, listen to me, we have to confront the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 refers to the devil as the God, small letter G, the God of this world. You don't think so? Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to the devil as the ruler of this world. Hmm? In John chapter 12, verse 31, in John chapter 14, verse 30, and John chapter 16, verse 11, he called the enemy the prince or the ruler of this world. He's referring to the world system in which we, in which we are living. You see, just as the Holy Spirit leads every child of God, just as the Spirit of God is leading you into the will of God. Now, you may not be always cooperating. Sometimes we are not. But he's endeavoring to lead us into the will of God. The devil is working in the hearts of those who are spiritually dead, the lost, because they belong to his kingdom. Are you listening to me? And Satan is the controlling influence in this world system, in a godless society, in a Christless culture. He is a controlling influence in the media, the economy, and the governments of this world. I'll tell you this, in every country, the devil always endeavors to get a grip on the government and the media. Why? Because he wants influence. He wants to influence things. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, in the New King James Version, it says this, the whole world lies under the sway, that means under the influence of the wicked one. So let me tell you something. Unless men and women know the Lord, unless they're born again and they have the Spirit of God living in them, when they get into positions of authority or great influence, the devil begins to try to sway them, to control them, to do his will. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Are you listening to me? I said people. And that's why sometimes people that are, I'm just speaking generally, it's, it's, it's really true in, in in every nation of the world, unless that person knows the Lord. That's why we need, we need believers in positions of authority. We need godly people in positions of responsibility. And that also means that godly people need to have honest elections. We don't believe in proxy votes in this church. If you sell your vote, then don't complain about anything. Amen. That's why you may know people and I'm just speaking generally. I'm not speaking, thinking of anyone in particular. But that's why you may know people like before they got into a position of, of authority. So he was a nice person. She was a nice person. And then when they got into that place, 
people say, but he changed. Something happened. Yeah, the God of this world got a hold of him. Often these people don't even realize it. They don't even, they don't, they're not aware of what's going on. However, in some cases, they do realize it and freely admit it. Um, Michael Harvey was a young black man, we would say African-American man, living in America, came from a broken family. He was addicted to drugs. He was basically an alcoholic as well, and he was in trouble with the law. But he had a promising career as a rap artist, you know, rap music. And uh, I think he was making recordings and was having a measure of success. And he came in contact with others in the music industry, particularly rap music, you understand. And uh, he sought, you know, he became friends with some of these folks and, and sought their advice. And he was astounded when several of them told him, frankly, if you want to be successful, Mike, you've got to sell your soul to the devil. And they weren't joking. He said as he, as he was with these folks, they were in a recording studio, and he said, he, he's, not, he's not a Christian, he's not even born again, but he said, it seemed to me these people were possessed of the devil, and that the devil was speaking right through them, that the devil was propositioning him. One of, the, one of his friends pulled out a big wad uh, of cash and said, this can be yours, this can be yours, and more, but you've got to give your soul to the devil. And that so shocked him. You know, because he didn't even believe there was a devil or anything like that. That show shocked him. He realized that, well, if their devil is real, then, then God is real. Jesus is real. So he, he, he said something told him. He heard a voice. He said, I, he said, I don't know, maybe it was an angel. I'm not sure. A voice told him, go to your mother's house. And, and he told his mom, and she was a super nominal Christian. She had a lot of issues too. But she opened up her Bible and said, you need to, you need to pray and you need to accept Jesus into your heart, Mike. And he did. And I want to tell you something today, uh, Michael Harvey is a Christian rap artist. He's been in this church several times, and he currently pastors a church in the city of Philadelphia in America with his wife. And he's a friend of mine. And by the way, I just wanted to double check whether that story was correct. So I asked him last night, and he confirmed it. That's exactly correct. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You need to know that. Now, when you consider the average fellow out there, the daily laborer, the, the, the typical shopkeeper, you know, whoever, the student, you, you, I mean, you don't generally see that level or that kind of demonic influence working in them. You know, it seemed like just a nice guy. But not to be unkind, but you have to understand but that person also is not in a place of great authority or influence either. So they don't matter to the enemy. They matter to God, but they don't matter to the enemy, so it doesn't mess with them. You know, the devil, he uses people for his purposes, and when he's through using them, he throws them away. He discards them. He dumps them in the wastebasket. God doesn't use people like that. He doesn't use up people like that. He makes our lives better. He cares for you. He cares about you. Hallelujah. He'll be good to you. Serving the Lord is not some terrible thing. It's a great honor. 
and it's a better life, I promise you. If you're called to serve the Lord in ministry, that's not something to shy away from. That's a promotion in life. I'd rather be a chokidar in the house of the Lord than to be, have all the accolades that this world can afford. Can I get an amen? amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, I have to tell you something else. I don't mean to sound dark or anything like that, but you do need to realize that, that the Christian life, there is a battle involved. The Bible talks about fight the good fight of faith. There's a battle involved. You see, again, he said, take the whole armor of God. Well, you don't need armor if you're a spectator. I said, you don't need armor if you're a spectator in somebody else's fight. You don't need armor if there's no fight. You need to be prepared. But I want to say this to you as well. I have to tell you, even nominal Christians can yield to a wrong influence in their life, maybe through ignorance or maybe because lack of vigilance. Last week, in near my own hometown, there was a shooting incident. A young man came to work and shot six of his colleagues or, or others in the, in the store, wounded several others before turning the gun on himself. It's a terrible thing. And the police found a note in his house, which they posted online. It's, it's available. And it's interesting. I mean, it's, 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 it's tragic, but it's interesting that his note begins with this. I'm reading what this man wrote. Sorry, God, I have failed you. I failed to listen to the Holy Spirit, which made me a poor representation of you. He went on to say this. It's, you know, almost don't want to read it, but I'm just telling you. I did not plan this. Things just fell in place like I was led by Satan. And he also mentioned that one of his colleagues, who I think was a born-again Christian. One of his colleagues, he said, she looked at me. She looked me in the eye, terrified by this demonic aura that surrounded him. I don't, I don't know this, this young man. I've been to that, that location. My wife and I have been there you know, several times. I don't know if I've actually been in that particular store or not. I don't know this man. And I do know that Scripture says, in 1 John 3, 15, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But here's the point. From what he wrote, I mean, I don't know him, but from what he wrote, at least it seems that he thought he knew God. I don't know. One thing's for certain. He was influenced by something more than just human emotion. And he freely admits that. Sometimes we read about, you know, in the Bible and the Gospels about, you know, the madman of Gadara and, you know, and demons being cast out. And we somehow imagine that in our modern age, you know, demons don't even exist, but uh, they do. We see this type of thing. Hmm? You might say to me, Brother John, that man was just mentally disturbed. Yeah, I'm sure he was. But Why? There's a lot of people have trouble, but they don't all go, they don't show up in the office and start shooting and killing people. Why? There was an influence in his life. Are you out there today? 
So again, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. Now some pastors and some churches and some Christians, they stop reading right there. And so they just talk, preach about tribulation. We're going to tribulate. You know, what a tribulation. Uh, just pray that the Lord will bring the rapture soon or we'll get out of here or something. But that's not all that he said. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Or maybe your Bible says, but be of good cheer. You know, after all that you said, Brother John, how can I be of good cheer? Wait a minute. Be of good cheer, he said. I have overcome the world. Come on, you missed a good place to say amen. Jesus said, be of good cheer. What does that mean? Don't be discouraged. Don't be depressed. Don't be saddened. I have overcome the world. Now you read that and you think to yourself silently, well, I'm happy for you, Jesus, that you overcame the world, but how does that help me? Jesus did not overcome the world for himself. He didn't need to defeat it for himself. He did it for you. He was acting on your behalf. The Amplified Bible, the classic version, adds this. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Come on, somebody better get happy right now. I mean, I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. You and I are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're not in the devil's kingdom. We don't belong to him. He has no right to interfere in my affairs. I am the property of heaven. I have been purchased with blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And the devil is defeated. The Bible says that Jesus neutralized. He paralyzed him. He, he, he made him of no effect through his death and resurrection. The devil, as far as you and I are concerned, he's defeated and he's underneath our feet. And not only is he defeated, he knows he's defeated. And in case he forgets, I'm gonna remind him every day he's defeated and Jesus is victorious. I'm not on the losing team, I'm on the winning side. Hallelujah. Jesus himself said in the book of Revelation, I am he who died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What does that mean? I have authority over every demon. I have authority over all the power of the kingdom of darkness. But then he gave that authority to us. He said, in my name, they'll cast out demons. Anybody here today? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So the troublemaker is defeated and he knows it. Notice the scripture, 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 4. Are you out there today? Don't go home. Come back in. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So if we overcome the world, the world system, we overcome all that is in it, including sin, Satan, and sickness. Whatever is not of God, we are victors over that. Amen? Notice that verse again. Put it on the screen there. Thank you. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, 
our faith. If you look at that verse, you'll notice, this is English Standard Version, you'll notice the word overcome is used twice. Overcome. In fact, the word victory is also basically the same Greek word as well. The word overcome is used twice. If I can get a little technical just for a second here, if you bear with me. In the Greek language, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The first word overcomes is in the present tense. That is an ongoing, continuous action, something that's happening right now. I'm talking, hopefully you're listening, you're hungry, you want me to finish. This is happening right now in real time. The Williams translation says this, for every child of God continues to conquer the world. That means God expects us to have victory every day. I don't believe in a defeated gospel. I believe in a victorious gospel. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are battles to fight. But thank God we are on the winning side. We have the authority of Jesus Christ. We have the blood. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. I said, we're on the winning side. God expects us to have victory every day. Every day. Go back to that first verse again for me, please. Yes, thank you. So the second word, overcome, is actually, in the Greek language, what we call the aorist tense. What does that mean? Well, I don't expect you to know what that means, but I'll tell you what it means. Aorist tense in Greek means, generally it means single past tense. And it usually means a one-time occurrence. It's not a progressive thing. It's something that it happened and it's done. Usually, that's what that means. So what he's telling, I believe what he's telling us is, when you believed the gospel, when you were born again, when Jesus Christ became the Lord of your life, at that time, you became a victor and a world overcomer. You are a world overcomer. If you're a world overcomer, you're a God of this world overcomer and all that belongs to the enemy. But to experience triumph in our daily life, we have to continually use our faith. That's what I take away from that. To experience victory every day, we have to continually use our faith. In other words, we don't just get saved, and then that's the end of our believing. We walk by faith. We live this way. Now, go back to our text, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. It says, so above all else, take up the shield of faith. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to Christians, not people in the world, who don't know God, he's, he's writing to believers in the church. Notice he did not say to them, go get a shield. Neither did he say, you need a bigger shield. The one you have is not enough. He said, pick it up, carry it, use it. I'm convinced most Christians don't need more faith necessarily to overcome the challenge they're facing. They do need to use the faith they have. Take 
the shield of faith. Pick it up. Use it. God has given you what you need to face the enemy in every combat and emerge victorious. He didn't say, take up the shield of faith and sometimes it'll quench all the fiery darts. Other times it may not. Oh, my shield's not working today. Well, it, you know, is it a Sunday? It usually works on Sunday. No, no, it will quench. It will extinguish. It will thwart the attack of the enemy. If there's a problem, it's not with the shield. It's with the guy who's not picking it up. If you leave your shield in the closet, you might as well not have one. Let me give you another scripture. I'm going to make a slight turn here, but there's a reason why I'm saying this. Let me give you another scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. All right. I'm, kind of, I'm going to take a side journey, but it fits into what I'm saying, so just bear with me. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. By the way, let me stop there. Many times, you know, when you counsel with Christians, they say, my situation is unique. Nobody in the history of mankind is dealing with what I'm dealing with. I'm, I'm unusual. There, there will never be another situation. No, that's not true. There's no temptation that you have encountered that is not common to man. The devil has not changed his song and dance since the Garden of Eden. It's the same old thing. Nothing has changed. Hmm? But God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. God is faithful. faithful. Notice, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, God himself never tempts anyone to sin. Know that. God's not going to say, hey, would you like this beer? You know you need it. Now, God is not, tell, not, God is not trying to push modu on you. huh? God is not trying to get you to lie or entice you to, to, to cheat on your wife or anything. God doesn't do that. huh? But, listen to me, while he himself tempts no one, he may allow you to be tempted. If Jesus encountered temptation, you shouldn't think that you won't encounter temptation. Did, did, did God the Father tempt Jesus in the wilderness? No, that was the devil. But he didn't prevent it either. He let him face the challenge. Are you listening to me? Mm-hmm. By the way, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when you yield to the temptation when you give into it you feel the pull you know in your flesh to do something you know someone speaks unkindly to you and you want to slap them your hand comes up trembling and, and you're like looking at it oh no i really want to choke him i would like to just drown him in the nala but you say that's not right not doing that so you don't need to repent you need to resist right so it's not a sin to be tempted jesus was tempted but he never sinned. It's only sin when you follow through when you do it. But notice this verse. It says God will not let you or God will not allow you or God will not permit you to be tempted beyond your ability. That means your ability to resist it. Hmm? 
So is it possible that a temptation can come to you that's so great you can't resist it? I couldn't help it. I had to sin. Is that possible? I know you want to say, yes, it's possible. In my case, it, no, it's not possible. God is faithful. He will not allow you or me to be tempted beyond our ability, our ability to resist it. Are you out there today? Amen. Hmm. However, often the problem is that we allow temptation to snowball. A little trickle becomes an avalanche. We pause, we hesitate, we ponder, we reflect upon, and it grows and grows and grows until it gains such momentum that we find ourselves unable to stop. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy, if you're the son of God, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus did not hesitate. He did not think about it. Hmm, stones into bread, bread and stones. Huh, I'm kind of hungry. That would be kind of cool to do that. I just love to show the devil who I am. He didn't, he didn't mess with it. He immediately shut it off and said, it's written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Amen. The time to resist the temptation to drink alcohol is when you're invited to the party where you know alcohol will be served by declining the invitation. It's real, now you're scaring me. I said that the, the, the place to resist that temptation is when you first get the invite. Don't wait till you have the bottle in your hand and the crowd is chanting, drink it, drink it, drink it. And say, oh, God, help me. No, that's not the time to resist. Amen. The time to resist is when she gives you that eye. Got that off. Not when you're lying next to her in bed saying, God, help me, God, help me. That's not the time to resist. <laughs> Amen. Two times in the New Testament, Satan is called the tempter. Twice. In the book of Matthew, and then I think in 1 Thessalonians. So if God will not allow the tempter to tempt you beyond your ability, here's my point. Could we also say this? Just think about it. Could we say this? God will not allow the enemy to attack you in other ways beyond your ability to resist. I mean, if he, he, it says clearly he will not allow you to be tempted, and the devil is the tempter. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to resist. Could we also say he will not allow the enemy to attack you in other ways beyond your ability to resist. In other words, if fear comes, if anxiety takes hold of you, if depression settles upon you, you have the shield of faith. You don't have to live that way. And don't say, I can't help it. That's not true. That's not true. God has given you the tools you need to be victorious. Take up the shield of faith. Hallelujah. So when depression seems to come your way, maybe it sort of makes its rounds, like, you know, you know that time of the month or that time of the week or whatever, you know, blue Mondays or whatever, just seems to come to you. That's the time to resist it. Don't play with it. 
Don't, don't fool with it. Don't, don't, don't spend time, you know, um, thinking about it right then and there. Just like Jesus said to the devil, it's written. Say, no, no, I have the joy of the Lord. My hopes are sure in Christ. Hallelujah. My God is with me on my darkest day. He will never leave me. You immediately deal with it. How? With the shield of faith. Are listening to me? When fear seems to come against you, and it, sometimes it just seems like it, it just leaps on you like a tiger jumping out of, the, out of the weeds, out of the grass, that's a time to immediately stand against it. I refuse to be afraid. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hmm? Let me go one step further. It's easier to resist sickness when it first attacks your body than it is to be healed after you're sick. So you and I should be vigilant. And that word vigilant means alert to danger. Peter says that, you know, be vigilant because your enemy, uh, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking someone to devour. Be vigilant is alert to danger. So the very moment symptoms strike your body, boom, shield of faith. That's when you take your stand. I resist this in Jesus' name. But most people say, oh, what's that? I don't know. It happened again. Ooh, I don't feel good. Right, everybody pray for me. I think I have cancer. Would you, some people, I've heard people say this. Brother, would you pray for me? I believe I have cancer. <laughs> well, Jesus said, according to your faith, so be it unto you. That's what you're believing. <laughs> That's not what you should be doing. You should be resisting. You should stand your ground. Amen. Notice this. Ephesians 6.16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. All circumstances. See, some people think faith is something you need when it's big. Big problem. Ooh. Ooh. Well, we better use faith. Yeah. No, he said in all circumstances. That means finding a parking place in Dimapur. Sharing an auto with people who don't know the meaning of soap. This is when you use <laughs> your shield of faith all the time. Huh? Now, this is not just something you use in an emergency, in a, in a, in a, in a death-defying crisis daily. You know, some, come on. Someone says a little unkind word to you. I don't mean, some, I don't mean they cut your head off with a, with a sword. I just mean one little kind of word and you're going to spend the next three days being depressed. Now tell me how that's Christ-like. Please explain to me how that's Christ-like. If Jesus lived like some people I know lived, he would be a manic depressive. He'd be underneath some fig tree crying most of the time saying, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. Come on. You're built of stronger stuff than that. As soon as something comes your way, boom, shield of faith. Or a little disappointment. Into every life, a little rain must fall. A little disappointment, and that's it. I'm going to mope around the house all day long. I'm not even getting out of bed. I'll just pull the cover over my head. Not enough people came to my birthday party. That's it. Life is over as we know it. Come on, come on, come on. How the devil must laugh at us sometimes. Going to church and talking about, you know, I'm an overcomer, you know, and I'm greater is he that's in me. And then the devil just goes, boo. And there we go, crying all day long. God wants you to use your faith. 
So he will allow you to meet some irritating people. How many of you have irritating people in your life? Raise your hand. Some of you quickly, without hesitation, raised your hand. How many of you, you are that irritating person? Raise your hand. <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, you know, really, you're a blessing to me. <laughs> come on. Come on. Disappointments come. Somebody just, somebody just looks at you funny. I'm not going back to that church. Why? Pastor looked at me funny. If it helps you, I have a little bit of, is it farsightedness or nearsightedness? I, when things are far away, they get a little fuzzy. So I'm not looking at you funny. I'm trying to figure out who you are. <laughs> Come on. In all circumstances, big or small. The, uh, one translation says this, at all times, hold up the shield of faith. That means be on guard. Be on guard. You know that the devil's not going to knock on your front door. Hi, I'm Satan. Can I come in? Can I destroy your life? I'd love to if I could. He's not going to do that. He's going to sneak up when you're vulnerable because he's basically a coward. He's going to strike when you're most vulnerable. By the way, another little sermonette. This one I'm going to give you for free. No charge on this one. The enemy will work on you to get you out of church. You know, I wouldn't go back there again. The usher seated you someplace you didn't want to see, and it was cold, and you were sniffling the whole service. I would not go back to that church again. They wouldn't let you sing your special number. I would not go back to that church again if I were you. What, is the devil like your best friend now? He's giving you advice? Don't you understand? He's trying to separate you from, from the body. He's trying to separate you from other believers. When, when my children were small, we were watching a TV program, you know, uh, something about Africa and about the, uh, the lions, you know, hunting a wildebeest in the African Serengeti, the, like the grassy plains or what have you. And one thing I noticed was the lions cannot take on a herd of thousands of wildebeest. They just can't do it. It's just too much for them. They can't do it. So they look for one that's weak. They look for an animal that's young and tender maybe a little bit neglected, and they try to separate that animal from the rest of the herd, and they surround him. Don't let the enemy trick you. When you're discouraged, you're depressed, and you feel like you're not appreciated, that's the best time to come to church. Don't let him separate you, because we, we not only need the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we need each other. Has it ever happened to anybody here where you felt a little bit down or discouraged, but by the time you left the service, you felt better, you were bullied? Has that happened to anybody here? Am I alone here? No, there's a lot of people. The time when you feel like you just can't come, that might be the best time for you to be there. Don't let the enemy, don't let the enemy isolate you from others. The, the enemy would like you just... There's this romantic notion that people have that to be spiritual... You climb Mount Saramati and you sit on that peak alone in the snow and just you alone and you never have any contact with human beings. That's not being spiritual. Yeah, you need to have those mountaintop experiences, but when that's over, you need to go down in the valley because that's where the people are and you need to be salt and light in this world and you need other people. Amen.
Hallelujah. They say that talent is developed in isolation. But character is developed in the stream of life. Other people improve you. They help you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. So I have seen people who were healed by the power of God. And then they let go. Won a great victory. Praise the Lord. I'm healed. And then they relaxed. They kind of slacked off. And they were not prepared for the enemy's counterattack. For example, my own father, who I love dearly, but he, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, so I spoke with him, and, and he didn't have as much understanding of the word of God that, that I would like him to have had. And I shared with him, I, I, gave, I bought for him several uh, faith-building messages, you know, not my own, but, but from somebody else that I thought would, I knew would really help to strengthen his faith, especially for healing. And I asked him, Dad, please listen to these. It'll help you. To str- faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're not willing to hear, you'll never have any faith. Huh? And so he did that. My dad did that. And then he asked me to pray for him, and I did and the report came back. It was very encouraging report. Like the way they measured the cancer and everything, the number had dropped significantly, way down. And the doctors were happy. My mom and dad were happy. You know, everybody rejoiced. And I told my dad, okay, but don't let up. Keep feeding and fueling your faith with the word of God. Stay in the Bible. And I know you read the Bible, but I mean, especially dig in, especially concerning healing and your redemptive rights in Christ. And he said, okay, I'll do that. But he didn't. He didn't. By his own admission later, he didn't. And the cancer came back like the next year. And this time he succumbed to the illness. He's with the Lord in heaven, and I'm, I'm so glad about that, and that's the most important thing. But what I'm telling you is, at all times, even after great victories, hold up the shield of faith. Boom! Because there's an enemy out there. And even though you've won a battle, he doesn't quit so easily. He's going to come back. The devil is always going to counterattack. Remember, Pharaoh came after the children of Israel when they were stopped at the Red Sea. He thought, here's one more chance. The devil thinks the same way. Are you listening to me? I'm not trying to in any way, you know, condemn somebody or make them feel better. I talked about my own father in this case. I'm trying to challenge you and inspire you to be more vigilant. Anybody out there? Don't wait for the battle to rage and then say, where's my shield? Has anybody seen my shield? You know, I have trouble finding things. Am I alone, men? Is it, just, is it just me or do other husbands have the same problem? And I say, where's my socks? Where's my belt? I can't find it. It was here. And my wife walks right up to it and says, it's right there. And I go, oh, so it is. So when, when, when things are hot and heavy, that's not a time to go in your closet and try to find your shield. Be ready. You, put on, you don't go to the battlefield and put on your armor while arrows are flying over your head. You get dressed for battle before you leave home. Are you listening to me? So this is the attitude that we should have, a vigilance. Vigilance, maybe more serious. Huh? This is the attitude that we should have. If you wait until you need faith to get it, you're too late. Stay ready. 
I'm not prophesying some doom and gloom your way. I'm just telling you that you need to be vigilant. Hallelujah. Imagine you're in a battle and you're standing behind a thick brick wall or stone wall. An enemy is firing his weapons at you. You can hear the crack of the gunfire and you hear the thud of the bullets as they strike the stone wall. It's unnerving. Boom, boom. Bullets are firing your way. You feel uneasy, but stay behind that wall. Don't move from that place. You're in a place of protection and security. It's a little nerve-wracking, and, and it shakes you when, when you hear the, the gunfire and the bullets. I'm, I'm using an analogy, of course. It's striking that, that wall, but don't run from that place because the enemy will eventually run out of bullets. If you hold up that shield, it says it will extinguish every flaming arrow. Well, eventually the enemy will run out of arrows. He's fired. When I came to Nogland, <sighs> February 1st, 1994, to me it seemed the devil launched every flaming missile he had at me. I don't have time to go into all, all of that, but just like everything he could throw at me, he was throwing, every arrow, every bullet, he was throwing it at me. And it was not pleasant. And I, did I want to go home? Oh, yes, buddy. I wanted to go home right away. I told God, somebody has made a terrible mistake around here, and it isn't me. <laughs> but the Lord impressed me to stay steady. Boom, hold up your shield. Boom. My shield is full of arrows. That means it's working. That's where you want the arrows, not in your behind. You want them in your shield. That's where you want them. It's working. And I remember, I remember one day we'd had a, a, a thing happen, some more difficulties, and I, I just stood there in the room by myself, and I said, devil, I want to say something to you. I'm not praying to the devil. I'm just telling you. Jesus said something to the devil. I'm saying something to the devil. I said, you've thrown at me every weapon in your arsenal, and I want you to know something. I'm still standing. I'm still here. <laughs> now, 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 why all of this hellacious assault? Because if I'd left, this would not be here. We would not, this, this, all of this, I mean, God would use somebody else, I'm sure, but, but I don't know, but this would, the way it is now, this would not be here. I didn't necessarily see that, but, but God did, and evidently the enemy did too. So if a lot of arrows are flying your way, you must be a threat. I said, if a lot of arrows are coming your way, you, you're making the demons nervous. You're more powerful than you realize. You're more pow your, your destiny is more damaging to the kingdom of darkness than you ever understood. The Bible says, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I know that's not your favorite verse. You probably don't have it on your calendar. It's not on your refrigerator, but it's true. Now, some people say, I'm not really suffering any kind of persecution at all. I know. You're not worth the gunpowder. <laughs> You're not doing anything. Just stay home and watch World Cup, you know, go to work. Pay the rent. I mean, that, that, that's not going to affect. But when you start living for God, when you start having that reckless kind of faith, when you start praying for the sick, when you start sharing the gospel, then suddenly, you know, the devils don't like it. The demons get agitated. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And when you're under attack, that's not the time to drop your shield. 
If you were behind that stone wall, bullets are flying, boom, boom, hitting that wall. And the enemy said to you, if you come out from behind that wall, I'll stop shooting. Would you? You'd be a fool to do that. The enemy will say, if you put down your faith, if you just kind of relax, you can go to church here once in a while, that's but just kind of step back, then no more pressure. He's a liar. Don't make a deal with him. He's lying to you. You come out from behind, you drop your shield, he'll cut your head off. Hallelujah. It's not a shield of anger. Some people just get angry. But the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not a shield of sheer, raw willpower, just grit. Well, I mean, you need some determination and that type of thing, but it's a shield of faith. Faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So stay assured that what you hope for, it's going to happen because God promised. That's how you resist the enemy. Hallelujah. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. One way to understand that is it's being convinced that you have the answer before you see it. See, most people think your prayer is answered when you see the results. Your prayer is answered when you ask in faith. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The Bible says that. So be convinced I have the answer even before you see any change in your circumstance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll read uh, one last verse here. Ephesians 6, 16 in the New Life version says this. Most important of all, you need a covering of faith in front of you. Most important of all, you need a covering of faith in front of you. When you're in a difficult situation, you may be asking yourself, well, should I go to this person for help? Should I seek help from this uh, uh, source? Should I go here? I can't answer that question for you. The, The Lord will lead you. But the most important thing is that you stay covered in faith. That you stay in faith. Even if you go to the doctor, and I, don't, and I believe in doctors, I'm say something. even if you go to the bank for a loan, and I'm not against that, but the most important thing is be led by the Spirit and stay in faith.